Hi there, I'm Sue Alves from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 199, and today I am going to be talking about unschooling and teenagers. Yes, episode 199. I've almost made it to 200. Wow, it's taken me a long time to get here. When I started podcasting many years ago, I thought that I would reach 200 in no time at all. But as you know, I I have had a lot of breaks from podcasting, though I'm doing better recently, aren't I? Yes, I have been... Uh, doing an episode every week for just a little while. So today I am talking about unschooling and teenagers, and I think this topic follows on very well from last week's episode about who is responsible for a child's education, a child's learning. Is it the parent or the child? And I guess parents feel they know what's best for a child. Learning is a serious business, especially when a child gets to the teenage years. Maybe a parent feels like time is starting to run out Unschooling is okay for little people. There's years and years and years ahead of uh, a young child. But then one day, a child reaches the age of 13 and maybe a parent panics. Oh no, I must organize things. We must uh, start preparing for a career. My child might want to get into university What do we need to do next? And then life changes. And I am going to be discussing whether that is good for a child. Does a teenager need more structure? Or does a teenager need to continue unschooling? I guess also we'll be talking about not just academic things, but parenting as well. The teenage years are the ones where parents might get frightened. Teenagers are going out there into the world a bit more. They want to be part of the bigger world. And there are a lot of dangers in the world. How do parents protect kids from those dangers? Do they make lots of rules and try and keep a close eye on their teenagers? Is that the responsible thing to do? So there's a lot there that I'm going to be talking about today. So I hope you find this interesting, even if you don't have any teenagers, because time flies quickly. Little people become teenagers sooner than we imagine. So I will start with some introductory questions that I wanted to explore in a recent blog post. Yes, I wrote a blog post, Could Unschooling Be Exactly What Teens Need to Do? And I wrote that on October the 6th, 2023. 
So I started off with some questions. When unschooling children reach the teenage years, is it time for them to stop following their interests and do some serious structured work instead? If they continue to unschool, will they fail to gain enough knowledge to get into university? Do they need to learn how to write essays, complete assignments, meet deadlines and deal with exams? Do parents need to tighten the rules for teens? Perhaps they should restrict their teenagers' freedom to keep them safe because their worlds are getting bigger and there are a lot of dangers out there. Or is leaving unschooling behind the wrong thing to do? Could unschooling be exactly what teens need to do even if they haven't unschooled before? Yes, I remember chatting to maybe my daughter Imogen in a podcast. I can't remember exactly uh, which episode, but we were talking about how it is never too late to start unschooling. I've discussed this um, topic before on my blog and probably in communities and forums as well. And parents say, hey, it must be too late. My children are are already teenagers. But as Imogen and I concluded, it is never too late to unschool. And actually, uh, teens are given a lot of advantages, even in the later years, if they are allowed to unschool. Is unschooling exactly what teenagers need to do? That's the big question that this podcast is centered around. Okay, I went on next in my blog post under the heading, Teenagers Not For Sale. In less than four months, we'll no longer have any teenagers in our family And unlike many parents, I'm not rejoicing, saying, thank goodness the teen years are over. We can finally take down the for sale signs. Teenager for sale, fully equipped with rolling eyes, deep sighs and sarcastic comments, plays video games and texts 200 words per minute. No reasonable offer will be refused. I've never been tempted to giggle over memes like this one. Oh no, I protest and people accuse me of having no sense of humour. But they're wrong. I laugh at all kinds of things. I just don't make fun of teens who are wonderful people and deserve respect. Over the years, I've written many stories about unschooling and teens. I've also made podcasts and videos with the help of my teenaged children. I've asked, can I interview you? Can we discuss unschooling and teens? And they've always generously shared their thoughts and experiences. Yes, um, those memes. I do remember when that particular one was shared and I wrote something in the comments and the person who posted it said, Sue, you've got no sense of humour. Lighten up. It's supposed to be a joke. But of course, our teenagers, they hear about us laughing over these kinds of memes and it's not a joke for them. 
So I I read a blog post called "A Big Chat About Unschooling Teenagers," and this forms a an introduction to a podcast I wanted to share. Another episode. I wonder if you、um, find this helpful that I refer back to blog posts and. Previous podcasts, sort of like telling you where you can find additional information about the topic that I'm talking about today. I hope you do find it useful. And sometimes people say to me, "Sue, do you have any podcasts about?" And they'll give me a topic. And really, I should write an index for all my podcasts. And that's something that I would like to do in the future. It does entail listening to every single one of my podcasts again and making some notes about what I spoke about because I can't quite remember all the details because some of them are quite old. But people have told me that re- going back to the beginning of my podcast and listening to old things can still be helpful. So maybe. Yes, an index would be helpful as well. Maybe a handbook or a companion to my podcasts. And when I've got nothing to do, maybe I'll do that. Anyway, I will keep going. A big chat about unschooling teenagers. A few years ago, I posted the following question on social media: Is anyone interested in discussing the teenage unschooling years? I'm thinking of recording a podcast on this topic with my daughters Imogen and Sophie. I proposed a few questions we could start with. What does unschooling look like in the teenage years? Is this a time to tighten up and prepare for university or other tertiary learning? How do unschoolers get into university? What if a teenager has no idea what she wants to do when official homeschooling finishes? Will the teenage years be difficult? Can we trust teenagers? Can we be friends with our teenagers? What do teenagers need? Can children start unschooling during the teenage years? And a few people added their own questions, such as. Could you and the girls talk about radical unschooling? How you were able to build such a solid level of respect for each other? Also, did you, as a mother, still maintain a good level of authority for those times when the children really did need your intervention in a situation? And I'm going to break in there with a couple of things. Yes, can children start unschooling during the teenage years? Maybe this podcast that we made, which is episode 147, a big chat about unschooling teenagers. Maybe that's the episode where Imogen and I were talking about that question. And oh, the other word that stood out there for me was the question. Also, did you, as a mother, still maintain a good level of authority for those times when the children really did need your intervention in a situation? And when my girls read that question, you know, it was us that <laughs> raised our eyebrows. A, a, a good level of authority. It's sort of like.、Um, A different point of view, isn't it, from the outside when you're not, when you don't really understand, or when somebody doesn't really understand something, it looks like a parent does need to maintain 
a degree of authority for certain situations, for certain stages of a child's life. And it can look like that person really has missed the point of unschooling. Uh, It's not the person's fault. And I'm really glad that person proposed that question and wanted us to talk about it. And I hope that in that podcast, we were able to give her information that changed her viewpoint, that it isn't about maintaining authority over a teenager. There's some other better way of ensuring that our children remain safe. And I'm going to go on and yeah, share some thoughts about that, which I hope you find useful. So, so Imogen, Sophie and I made a podcast about unschooling teenagers attempting to answer all the above questions, and I concluded with a few thoughts. Um, there's a lot more to this, but this is just a few thoughts. It's important we give teenagers the freedom to find out who they are. They need to explore their interests, express their opinions without being put down, Try things out and make some mistakes while they're in the safety of a family that loves them unconditionally. If we do give our teenagers the opportunity to do all this, they will, hopefully, end up having a strong sense of who they are and what they believe. They'll go out into the world feeling confident and won't be swayed by other people's opinions. They won't do things they don't agree with just so that they'll be accepted and liked. Our teenagers are not likely to get into serious trouble because that would mean sacrificing who they are. So if we want to keep our teenagers safe from the dangers of the world, we shouldn't do what appears to be sensible, make lots of rules and hold onto them tightly. Instead, we should make sure we build up the bonds between parent and child and then give our teenagers the necessary freedom to find out who they are. And then I linked to the episode, um, podcast episode 147. And I just want to say that there are no guarantees. Uh, I said, hopefully, um, our kids will know themselves and won't follow uh, other people who they believe don't aren't doing what's right, for example. It would mean sacrificing who they are. And there's no guarantees that our kids will um, not make some mistakes, but also there's no guarantee that our kids will be any better off if we make lots of rules for them. Actually, as I'm going to be discussing in the next story... Making rules is so counterproductive. It is much better, I think, to build up those bonds of connection with our children and to have open discussions about the dangers in the world and to let our children explore their beliefs, their opinions and who they are. And even if they do end up making a few mistakes we still have those bonds of connection which would draw our kids back, I am sure. In another podcast episode, uh, episode 19, I'm recommending lots of podcasts today, so I hope you love listening to podcasts. I suppose as this is a podcast, that's quite likely to be true. Yes, in episode 19 of my podcast, I interviewed my daughters Imogen and Charlotte. 
and later I turned that conversation into an article, Keeping Teenagers Safe, for my book, Radical Unschool Love. Yes, I took some of, not all my podcasts, but I took, well, I tried to get the transcripts from them and then modified them slightly for better reading and for a better understanding because podcast listening is different from article reading. Um, We can get away with a lot of backtracking and re-explaining and all that kind of thing if we're talking. Uh, People tend to forgive us if our words aren't perfect. But of course, if we're publishing articles in books, yes, the words must be Uh, They must ring true, just how we'd like them. There mustn't be any misunderstandings. We can't go back and uh, correct people's uh, perceptions of our articles if they have, we don't want them to pick up the wrong ideas. We want to state our thoughts as clearly as we can. But even so, I think that what I came up with for my book, Radical Unschool Love, is very true to the original podcast. So that's podcast episode 19, um, keeping teenagers safe from the dangers of the world. And I turned it into an article, keeping teenagers safe. So here goes. I settle myself into a comfortable chair in the living room and open a book. But before I can read more than a page or two, the rest of my family appears. What are you doing, mum? Is it coffee time? Shall I fill the kettle? Soon we are drinking coffee and talking together, and my book is forgotten. The conversation turns to a podcast that I made about reading, writing, and course language. I've been thinking about what I said in that episode. Do you think I was wrong to say that parents should trust their kids when it comes to choosing such things as books and movies? I ask my children, should I look at all books before letting you read them? Is it wrong to trust you? Perhaps I'm an irresponsible mother. Maybe I'm not keeping you safe from the dangers of the world. Opinions fly back and forth across the living room. Everyone has something to say. It would be really good if I could record some of this conversation, I say. You all have some very interesting things to say. How about I interview a couple of you for this week's podcast? So that's what I do. I interview Imogen, 20, and Charlotte, 17, and ask them for their opinions on keeping children safe from the dangers of the world, including inappropriate books, the internet, movies, and emails. Is the world a dangerous place? I ask my daughters, and they reply, yes, it is. There are dangerous things out there in the world, and it's a parent's responsibility to protect a child from them. I've been doing some googling to find out what other parents do to keep their kids safe, I say, because most people are doing something very different from us. I was interested to see if other methods are working. It seems to me that most parents are keeping a very close eye on what their kids are watching and reading, and they supervise their time on the internet very closely. Everyone is saying, do not let children have unsupervised time on the computer. 
Make sure the computer is in a place where parents can see the screen at all times. So most parents are being very diligent about policing their children's activities in potentially dangerous areas. Many parents would, I imagine, read books and watch movies before they offer them to their children to make sure they are safe. I guess parents have to be very fast readers to keep up. Children can be prolific readers. In my travels, I came across a website that offers spyware. Parents can use it to spy on their children's computer activities so that they don't have to look over their shoulders constantly. There is a record of the activities that they can access later on. They can also use the spyware to check their kids' phone messages and emails. What do you think about this? Is spying on children necessary? Should it be allowed? I don't think it should be allowed, says Imogen. I've heard of children whose parents have used spyware and they think it's a great, great invasion of their privacy. They don't want anyone constantly looking over their shoulders. They want their parents to trust them. So you think spying on children breaks down the trust between a parent and a child and will ultimately damage the relationship between them. Yes, I do. Some parents say that this is a big issue. It doesn't matter how the child feels. Parents are just doing what is necessary to keep them safe. Eventually, the child will recognize that the parents only spied because they cared. I see where they're coming from, says Imogen, but I don't think a teenager would see it that way. Some parents say, we have to do unpopular things because we're the parents. We're not interested in being friends with our teenagers. That's not our role. Being a parent means keeping our kids safe, regardless of what we have to do. Yes, parents need to keep their children safe, says Imogen, but there is another way to do that. Parents don't have to act like the police. The problem is that some parents think there isn't another way, I say. But there is, isn't there? But before we can talk about that, perhaps we can look at the downside of spying. If our relationships were damaged, but in the process our children were kept safe, we might say it was all worthwhile. But do you think policing children's activities does actually work? No. Parents are damaging their relationships for nothing? Yes, if a parent spies on their children's computers, the children will use somebody else's computer to do whatever it is that they want to keep private. If they ban their children from reading certain books, children will read those books in another place. Spying and policing will only result in children doing things secretly. It's not going to stop them. So it's going to make teenagers deceitful. There's always a way around these things, isn't there? Teenagers can go places. Parents can't police them when they're not at home. The only way to be sure they're not doing what parents don't want them to do is to keep them at home? Exactly. Parents can't follow their teenagers around. They can't be sure of where they're going and what they're doing. 
but parents could be suspicious. They could find themselves checking up on them. Where have you been? What have you been doing? And that doesn't do a relationship any good, does it? Let's talk about that other way of keeping kids safe, I say. When we police children's activities, control is coming from the parent. It's coming from outside the child. So the child is safe only as long as the parent is there, making sure she isn't doing anything wrong. Once the parent is gone, the child is free to do whatever she likes and could get into all sorts of trouble. But with the method of keeping teenagers safe that we're talking about, control comes from within the child. A child chooses not to engage in certain dangerous activities. She knows what is right and what is wrong, what is appropriate and what isn't. And she can be trusted whether a parent is there or not. This sounds good, but a parent might object. A child cannot make a distinction between what is right and what is wrong. She can't be trusted to make the right choices. Imogen, do you think teenagers can be trusted? Yes, I do. So if we believe a child can tell the difference between right and wrong when she goes to the library and looks at the books, she can make the right choices for herself. Yes. How can we get to the situation where a child does know the difference between right and wrong? Does a parent just say, go and read what you like, listen to what you like, and watch what you like? I trust you will make the right decisions. Is it that easy? No, it's not, says Imogen. It's all about the relationship a parent has with a child. There needs to be trust and respect and the ability to have a conversation. That's what's important. Parents need to have the right relationship with their child, one where they can share the values they believe in, one in which they can help her develop her sense of right and wrong. And then once a child shares a parent's values, she can go out and use those values when reading books or when she's on the internet. She might say, this book doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't fit the values that I have picked up. I'm not going to read this. But before a child can do that, parents need to build up a relationship of respect and trust. It has to be a relationship where a parent can have conversations and pass on the right values to her child. Some people might say, why should children listen to their parents rather than to others from outside the family, their friends and other people in the community? Do you think it's all to do with the relationship parents have built up with their children, I ask. Yes, that's right. So it's not as easy as it sounds. It does take a lot of effort and time to build up a close relationship. Some people say they're not unschooling, but they still have a good relationship with their children. What do you think are the essential things that make a difference, I ask. Imogen says, the parent and the child need to trust and respect each other. Everyone agrees that children need to trust their parents. They need to respect what they say. But the same is true for parents. Parents need to trust and respect their children. When you become a teenager, you want to be treated as an adult. You can think and reason and make decisions and you want your parents to acknowledge that. So it's not just a child-parent relationship that teenagers want. 
They want an adult, adult relationship. They want to be able to talk to their parents, to have discussions, to be allowed to have opinions, instead of being put down as if they were children. You don't know anything. You're not old enough. Parents can be very good at lecturing their children. They say, this is what I think is wrong with this book, and this is why I don't want you to read it. But there's no dialogue, is there, I say. It's just the parent laying down the law. Should a parent allow a teenager to have her opinions and listen to them? Because many parents say, I've told my child what's wrong with it, and maybe they think that's enough. The parent has spoken, and that's all that matters. It's much better to have a conversation about it, discuss it, listen to a child's opinion, give feedback to each other, says Imogen. You listen to what they think and they listen to what you think. Talk it out together. Because if you tell teenagers something, they will think, she's laying down the law again. But if you talk with them, they'll feel like they're being respected and what they have to say is valued. They're more likely to listen to what you have to say because you're listening to what they have to say. Let's talk about what happens in our family, I say. You read a lot of books. If I tried to keep up with them all, I wouldn't do much else, would I? So tell me, what happens when we go to the library? Charlotte joins the conversation. Imogen and I usually collect some books together. We look at each cover and glance inside. If the book looks interesting and there's nothing obviously wrong with it, we'll borrow it. Then we'll take the books home, continues Imogen, and we start reading them. Generally, in the first few chapters, we can tell whether it will be an appropriate book for us to read or not. And if it isn't, says Charlotte, we put it back in the basket to be returned to the library, and we try something else. You've learnt to pick up the subtle messages of the book, I ask, because some things don't jump out at you on the first page, do they? Imogen, yes, it's not always easy to tell from the first page whether it's a good book or not. You've got to read some of it. And sometimes it's not a particular thing. It's a feeling. This book doesn't feel right. If it feels that way, we won't read it. It's better to be able to pick up the subtle messages rather than just say, this is a vampire book, so I'm not going to read it. This book has bad language on the first page. So I'm not going to read it, I say. You have to make decisions about the book as you're reading it. Writers can influence a reader in subtle ways. The danger isn't always immediately obvious. Tell me about the standards you and Charlotte have for books. We have an easy way to tell whether a book is appropriate or not, she says Imogen. I think, could I take this to mum? Could I show this to her? If I feel there's something in the book that doesn't allow me to do that, I won't read it. Not because I'm afraid of what you might say or because I think you'll be angry with me. I do that because I trust you know what is right. And if you don't think it's right, I trust it's not right for me. So you wouldn't be tempted to read that book privately, I ask? No. I can trust you? Yes, you can. Some people have asked, 
How do you know what your children are reading? Even if I trust you, I don't know what you're reading. How do I find out? Ask us, Charlotte says. You'll give me an honest answer? Yes. Why should I hide what I'm reading? I don't have to spy. I don't have to police what you're reading. You will tell me? Yes. It's as easy as that. Yes, and if you'd like to listen to that podcast, it was episode 19, Keeping Teenagers Safe from the Dangers of the World. Yes, um, right back at the beginning of that, uh, we were talking about what teenagers want. And it was, Imogen said, it wasn't that teenagers want to do whatever they want to do. I want to read whatever I want to read. I want to watch whatever I want to watch. What they really want is for their parents to trust them. Yes, they want to be trusted. And we talked about bad language in books. And that's not always an indicator that a book is not appropriate. In one of my other podcasts, I talked about inappropriate books and course a language. I didn't make a note about the episode, but you can find that quite easily by doing some searching through my podcasts or my blog. Um, But I spoke about how sometimes course language is Yes, appropriate. <laughs> I was, I think I quoted Cloud Street, uh, Tim Winton, I think that's the book by, and there's lots of bad language in it because the characters, that is part of their, of, of who they are. You can't sanitize particular characters, they won't come over as a genuine. Uh, these characters used, of course, a language. There was a reason for it doesn't mean the book was a bad book. Actually, I remember I really enjoyed that book. I There was such a positive message from it. And so I looked past the course language and that's what I was talking about in that podcast. Yes, relationships. Uh, yes, I think that the, the biggest problem is yeah, the trust. And if we do, if we trust our kids when other parents are not trusting, do we look like we're bad parents because we don't have our computer in the main area of the house where we can glance over our kids' shoulders as they're using it? If we trust our kids with their own devices in their own rooms, uh, if we let them choose their own books, will other parents... Uh, look down on us, will they say, you are irresponsible? I guess it's a big thing, isn't it? We want the support of our peers. We want to have their good opinion. And it flows out a bit further than that as well. I can remember letting my daughter, no, Felicity, my eldest daughter, read a particular book. And she shared it with a friend. And the friend's father got hold of the book, and it was on his list of inappropriate books. And the book was sent home. And, yes, there was a message, this book is inappropriate for my child. And I think if if that happens too many times, then parents might say, your children are inappropriate friends for my child, and we want our children to be accepted and to have friends. So what do we do? Because maybe our kids 
have the connections, our kids understand uh, the references, for example, to course language, they see beyond that, uh, they are very capable of deciding whether something is good or bad. But maybe other people's children haven't had the same opportunity. So maybe those parents are right. What's appropriate for our unschooled children might be inappropriate for other children. Maybe we, we discuss books. Our unschooled children talk about things openly and we discuss things. Um, but yes, so what do we do? I th- I ended up saying to my kids, don't share your books with your friends. Um, yes, other parents have other ideas and we must respect those ideas. Yes, we don't put other parents down. They have their own opinions and we respect them, but we believe something different and we have made different choices. That's one way of dealing with it. And then, of course, we can talk about these things just like I did in my podcast about course language and inappropriate books. And who knows who might listen and ponder the ideas and maybe people will accept them or maybe they won't. And that's quite okay, isn't it? It's just just about having conversations. It's not about forcing people to believe what we think is right. And maybe today I have presented some ideas that maybe you won't accept, but it is good, isn't it, to dive deep into a topic and do some pondering and maybe do some discussion on my blog. Uh, Yes, stop by with your thoughts, even if they don't match up to mine, and we can still, yeah, we can talk about it. So uh, I finished this um, post, and I'm going to finish this podcast with a section called What Other Unschoolers Are Saying About Unschoolers. No, that's wrong. What Other Unschoolers Are Saying About Teenagers. Yeah, we're not talking about each other, giving our opinions about, yes, um, putting down other unschoolers, but that's a topic as well, isn't it? Are they really unschooling? Are they unschooling properly? Oh, I've talked about that before. That can be a problem as well. But this time, what other unschoolers are saying about teenagers? And I have an article from written by Sue Patterson from the Mum to Mum Unschooling, I think it's Unschooling Mum to Mum website, How to Unschool a Teen. And I've got a little, a little quote. It may be much easier to toss a textbook at a kid and say, here's what you need to learn but it's going to be torture to get them to do it. But you already know it, that, right? Why do you think that is? I think it's because buried deep inside them, kids know adults are not telling the truth. They don't really need to learn it. They're hardwired to be curious, and they know what they're curious about, and it's not that. Yes, again, I think I spoke about this last week. Sometimes we know the truth, but we close our eyes to it. It's inconvenient. It will mean changes. It might mean being different from the crowd. But kids, they know the truth. If we will listen to them and respond, that's what they need. All right, second article, Respecting Teens by Erin from the Ever Learning website. 
I have found that teens are more likely to be treated respectfully if they have a respected adult somewhere in the vicinity. And I think Erin was talking about how general society doesn't respect teens. You see a teen coming and people might uh, have a an idea about who that person is before they actually meet them, talk to them, listen to them. And so the general public might label teens as hooligans, for example, not worth listening to, trouble, and that's how they relate to them. But if we're respecting our teens, it does give our teens a head start. Other people might observe our example, maybe, and then know that teens are, um, they deserve respect. All right, here's another article. What do you want school teens do all day? By Melissa Kamara Wilkins from Simple Home School. My teens aren't going to be apprentices or blacksmiths, but they are apprentice adults. They're learning who they are and how to be themselves. This is their apprenticeship. So that sort of backs up that idea that kids need time and opportunities to learn who they are, what they believe, what their opinions are. And if we don't give them that opportunity, they go out into the world and they will be influenced by out people outside the family. And then there's another one here, Unschooling Teenagers by Julie Polanco from Julie Naturally. Teenagers thrive when they take responsibility for their own learning. Learn how to facilitate natural learning or unschooling teenagers with these posts from Julie. She collaborated with her teens during these important years and successfully launched them into adulthood. Learn how you can confidently launch your teen as well using natural learning methods. And as far as I remember, there were a number of posts Um, yeah, together about teens and learning. And I think that Julie was talking about such things as how teens can get into university, how they can go on and succeed with their goals, how we can encourage and facilitate their learning, but not take it over, how we can just support our teens. And then there's another one here, Why and How to Unschool Teens by Emily. And I think that's from Rickshaw Unschooling, but maybe I found that on um, the Medium website. Is that medium.com? To be their equal, rise to meet their amazingness, and when they fail, sit down in the pits with them. If you're lucky, they'll be so confident in your love and support that they'll love and support themselves. Yes, we've got to love our kids unconditionally and we have to have empathy with them. And when they fail, yes, we fail too, don't we? It's not hard to have empathy with our kids who make mistakes and fail or get discouraged or whatever. But admitting that for a parent can sometimes be difficult. And then... We have, I have a, a link to a transcript of episode three of the Exploring Unschooling podcast, Unschooling Teens with Sue Patterson. Yes, a few things from Sue Patterson. Where the unschoolers really shined, and it's the largest chapter in the whole book, is the way they dealt, dealt with their hobbies. 
where the school at home kids are really off doing their subjects and then they have their small window for hobbies. The unschoolers were studying their hobbies as their job of the day. They were exploring and going really deeply into them. Some of them ended up going off to college to study more about it. Others ended up going into careers based upon that hobby that they were able to really develop as a teenager. I think that's so cool because as adults, we tend to think, oh, you do your job and then you have your hobby. And lots of times it takes a few decades for us to undo that thinking where we're realizing we're really enjoying this hobby. There's got to be a way to make a living at it. Yes, I don't think I read that very well as a transcript. I'm tempted to blame it because it's the transcript, but it was probably my fault. And Sue Patterson, it might not have been immediately obvious. Um, She was talking about her book, and I think she was talking about... um, Oh, I'm just having a look here to see if I can find it. Homeschooled teens, 75 young people speak about their lives without school, a book by Sue Patterson. These 75 young people are going to show you exactly what their lives looked like as homeschooled teenagers, and you'll be surprised at how they made friends, got along with family, and explored unique learning environments. They're eager to share their benefits and advantages they experienced through homeschooling. Their lives were and are full, rich, and happy. And I've got a couple of other books you might be interested in reading if you've got teens and are wondering about unschooling them through those teen years. Um, Here we go. Teens Unleashed. Unschooling Young Adults as They Reach for Their Dreams, a book by Carla Marie Williams. Many look at unschooling as a viable option for their younger children. What about high school? Can you unschool the teen years and prepare young adults for their future? Absolutely. In this sequel to Homeschool Gone Wild, Carla shares how she continued unschooling through high school with magnificent results. Yeah, it's good to see other unschoolers pondering the same questions I am and providing other resources for anybody interested in these topics. I got quite a lot of resources today, haven't I? Another book, The Teenage Liberation Handbook by Grace Llewellyn. I keep I seem to recommend this one frequently. The Teenage Liberation Handbook is still the only complete guide to unschooling written for youth. It tackles everything. Why to consider self-directed education, communicating with reluctant parents, getting a social life without proms, designing a tailor-made intellectual extravaganza, and getting into college, finding great mentors, apprenticeships, and volunteer positions. And now there was just one more article, and I think it was a Sandra Dodd one, Teens and Unschooling, from Sandra Dodd's website. Um, She said, this isn't an exhaustive um, FAQ, it's a collection of bits and links to help parents of unschooled teens feel confident and calm about how kids interact with the world inside and outside their families. Lots of contributions from lots of different people. So that's all my resources for today. Lots of them today. Right, I'm going to finish with, is it risky to let teens unschool? Letting teenagers unschool sounds risky, doesn't it? 
our imaginations could go wild, conjuring up images of young people unable to pursue further education and get good jobs because they haven't gained enough knowledge. How would we feel if that happened? As well as being poorly educated and ill-prepared for life, do we imagine our teens making big mistakes and getting into a lot of trouble? Perhaps we should keep them safe by making lots of rules and restricting their freedom. But teenagers need the freedom that comes with unschooling. They need the respect and trust that come from strong bonds of connection with parents. And they also need lots of time to discover who they are, what they enjoy, and what their missions in life are. Of course, there's no guarantee that unschooled children won't have problems, but the alternative doesn't provide any guarantees either. At least if we unschool, we'll know we didn't go down a pathway that doesn't make a lot of sense, one that could result in rebellion and deception. We tried to do the right thing. We gave our kids a good foundation. Hopefully, in the long run, that will make all the difference. I hope after reading and listening to my stories and exploring the unschooling resources I've linked to, you'll agree that unschooling is exactly what teens need. So I wonder what you think. Yeah, that summed it up, didn't it? I've mentioned those points a few times throughout this podcast about the no guarantees, about how we might feel, uh, about connecting with our kids. And we don't know what will happen in the long run. Uh, Even if kids do make mistakes, they're more likely to return to what is right if we've got those strong connections. So friends, that's all I've got for you today. Please go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and have a look at my post. Could unschooling be exactly what teens need to do? And you can reread those stories and find the links to those extra podcasts and the links to all those resources. Please also check out my books, Curious Unschoolers, Radical Unschool Love, and The Unschool Challenge, and you will find those on Amazon. Now, I always invite people to stop by my blog, but hardly anybody ever does. I don't know why. That doesn't matter. If you'd like to listen or read quietly, you're welcome to do that. But please check out um, my books. And if you think that I have said anything useful today, please share the link to this podcast. I would appreciate that very much. So this is the end of episode 199, the big one next time, episode 200. Until then, live a radical life of unconditional love.